0: Mike Wiley has spent the last decade creating educational theater that shines a light on key events and figures in African-American history. Through his performances, Mike has introduced countless students and communities to the legacy of Emmett Till, Henry Box Brown, and more. Mike has an MFA from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and was a visiting joint chair professor in Documentary Studies and American Studies at Duke University and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Mike, impressive resume. Welcome to The Cultural Scavenger.
1: Thank you, sir. Thank you, Andy. It's great to be here.
0: Now, you're not only an actor uh, as an actor in an ensemble, but you're also a storyteller. And having been a professional actor like you way back when, uh, the actor's dilemma is to keep working. So was it a practical as well as an artistic decision to go solo? How did you arrive at, okay, I'm in a theater company, I've got a background in theater, I've done stage work. Your solo career has been remarkable.
1: Well, thank you. Thank thank you very, very much. Um Remarkable is a is a great word to to use because when I think of the word remarkable, I also hear in my mind, the words, despite of, above it all, and there before the grace of God, and so on and so forth. I hear all those terms when I hear the word remarkable, because when I think of where I came from, you know, I'm from Roanoke, Virginia, and I lived in um, uh, Northwest Roanoke, Virginia, and in the neighborhood that uh, that I lived in and grew up in, and I lived in several neighborhoods. We moved around. A great deal, but in the neighborhoods that that I lived in, to choose an occupation like this, right? To choose the first of all to choose the occupation of being an, an artist, let alone a theater artist, an actor, was an oddity to say the least.
0: It doesn't matter who you are. Choosing the life as an actor is a tough road to hoe for anybody. It's the toughest business there is.
1: It absolutely is. What you're doing is you're giving someone permission to say, you're not pretty enough. You're not tall enough. You're not short enough. You're not fat enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not dark enough. You're not black enough. You're not white enough. You name it. You are giving someone the express permission, regardless of how many times you might see written, we are looking for all comers or we are looking for. Anyone of any ethnicity or we are looking, regardless of how many times you might see that printed, and you see it printed more and more in recent years, but regardless of how many times you see that printed, you know and they know that they are looking for a particular type. Right. And what other occupation allows that? No other occupation allows that. Yeah,
0: you're you're bringing back bad memories. (laughs) There's a reason (laughs) I got out of it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the reason I started to
0: till my own soil or or
1: go down my own path, as it were. Right. In the mid 90s, I started uh, realizing that I was always being cast as the actor that could play multiple characters. Mm hmm multiple roles in one particular play. As I grew up as a as a teenager, I would mimic people. I would listen to the way people talked or watch the way people walked and and I would practice those things most of the time in private, but sometimes <laughs> in public to my to my mother's chagrin. But <laughs> but the thing is the thing is I realized that this was something that I had a, a talent for. Right. And, and I love for, you know, it, it almost gave me another way to to play. Right. When yeah. I was a kid, it gave me another uh, ability or uh, an, another rung to play on instead of just playing with action figures. You know, I give my action figures voices instead of just playing with action figures. Then I could be an action figure. You name it. I was doing it right. right. And so around the mid 90s, after I graduated from undergrad, I realized that, you know, and even in undergrad, I realized that somewhat, I realized that here I am being cast as this actor that plays multiple characters and plays multiple roles in these plays. Why don't I just explore being a solo actor? What would that take? I was a fan of Anna Devere Smith. I was a fan of Spalding Gray. I was also a fan of, of Richard Pryor and mm-hmm. um, and Bob Newhart and a number of comedians who would take on other personas in their work or in their stand-up, And I wanted to do that.
0: And you could control your own destiny. Right. That's, that's, that was, you know, to me, that's the biggest takeaways that, you know, now you still have to have somebody to hire you as a one man Joe, but at least you're not dependent on the rest of the cast or how you fit into the cast. You are the cast. What was your first, character creation storytelling event and then how did it evolve and grow?
1: I had lived in Richmond. I had I had toured with a children's theater company called Theater Four. And while I was living in Richmond, I started to research the life of Henry Box Brown, who was an enslaved man who mailed himself from Richmond, Virginia to Philadelphia in eighteen forty nine. And
0: yeah, it was a great story by the way.
1: It was the first one, the first long play that I wrote and And the thing is, I'm a comedian at heart, really, even though most of my plays are are based on dramatic events in American history. But I'm a comedian at heart and I love making an audience laugh because I truly believe that laughter is intravenous. And if I'm able to open people's hearts to the medicine. I'm able to open people's hearts. I'm able to pour that medicine right, right inside immediately. If I undercut a really funny scene with a really dramatic moment, that dramatic moment or that piece of history or information sinks in them deeper than yeah. if they're they're being uh, lathered in drama the entire time.
0: It's solid theater. You know, you mix the humor and the and the drama. Yeah. When when Barbara contacted you to perform in Martinsville, before that, you actually met her in of all places Fredericton, Canada, at an arts conference. How did that come about? (laughs) How that How that come about?
1: I think of of being there as one of the high points of my career. Here I was, this kid from Roanoke, Virginia. That I mean, I just didn't know what my path was going to be. I can't say that I never really thought that my path was going to be anywhere, even though I, I did want to. My dream was to be on Saturday Night Live. I sat down. I moved from Richmond, Virginia to New York, and I started auditioning here and there and everywhere. And and you know, some things happened, some things diff- didn't. And I sat down and said, you know what? I'm going to write my own play. I'm going to I'm going to make my own way. And that summer summer of 1999, the National Black Theater Festival was happening, and they had a playwriting contest, and you would submit your play to this writer's contest, and then the prize wasn't monetary. The prize was you had the opportunity to have your play read by the celebrities that attended the National Black Theater Festival out loud in front of an audience. That was the the prize right? And so I wrote up a draft of this play. Andy, when I tell you it was my first draft, I tell you it was still smoking when I put it into the envelope. <laughs> that's, that's how hot off the presses this thing was. Also how naive I was, right? I, yeah. I, it wasn't a second draft or a third draft. It was the very first draft. That's how naive I was. So I slid that sucker into an envelope and I mailed it down to Winston-Salem and... I get this response back a couple of weeks later. Now I was already going to be going down to Winston Salem because I was in a play called Julius Caesar set in Africa. I had like this bit role again, playing multiple characters yeah. in this this bit role in that particular play, and uh, and I get this letter back back from the uh, the National Black Theater Festival saying, "We don't normally have solo plays as part of this contest." Dot dot dot, but. We are so interested in seeing what this play could become. We would like to invite you down to have it read wow. at the National Black Theater Festival. Now, here's the thing: I told them I'm coming down, absolutely, and I and I want to be a part of this play reading. But I'm going to be actor that's performing this in the future, so I actually don't want a celebrity to read it. <laughs> I want to read it myself. It's a solo play, and uh, <laughs> that and makes I, and, sense. And I, And I did. And it was a really wonderful experience. And a few months later, a very good friend of mine, you know, and and it really is about friends in this industry. Yeah, It's about the friends you make and the friends you keep, right? A very good friend that I had toured with, with the Shakespeare company some years before, lived in Durham. He was interested in reading the play. He read the play. He called me up and he said, look, I think I can direct this if you'd like me to. And the theater that I work with here it's called Man Bites Dog Theater. You know, is a, a well-known regional theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the they do, and uh, Man Bites Dog is is willing to produce it in the winter of two thousand. Uh, if you're up for that, and I said, brother, I'm already there. So,
0: <laughs> did you tell him? Look, I'm I'm even on my third draft. <laughs> I've even cleaned it's like,
1: it up. <laughs> the producers and and founders of man bites dog their words were yeah we kind of like to see how one person could do this right which has always kind of been the case everybody you know is interested in the subject matter but they really just want to see how one person can can do this and i imagine there in fredericton canada Barbara was probably thinking the same thing Stephen really really likes this guy Stephen my agent and he and Barbara big yeah. friend Stephen really likes this guy but I really kind of want to see how one person can play 20some characters in a play and uh, heck to be honest with you I want to see it myself. <laughs> and so, well, you they, pulled
0: it off. Yeah. Clearly, you, you pulled it off, and then from that conference, you got a bunch of gigs up there, did you not?
1: I got three weeks worth of gigs, actually. Wow, uh, it was fantastic. Of course, it was hard to leave the family for three whole week. This was a a different kind of showcase. You know, I do showcases here and there, and Barbara's been to plenty of them where I showcase around the country, and typically you get. 12 to 15 minutes to show what you got, right? You have to put it together like it's a trailer for a film. You have to Mm -hmm. be that specific and have that. And it's got to pack that much of a punch in those 12 or 15 minutes. Well, there in Fredericton, I had the opportunity to do an entire uh, 45 minutes worth of my play, which meant I could do the whole, basically the whole shortened version of my play and in being able to do that I could show them every everything that I had in that 45 to to 50 minutes and I remember thinking remember thinking after this is really wonderful people were saying we'd love to bring you back here during our black history month and I said that's wonderful that's I would love to come back to Canada for your black history month when is your black history month cuz you know, February in the <laughs> States is fairly cold. And they said, oh, it's February.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah. That's, yeah, that's right. Be careful what you wish for <laughs> you winter be, in Canada.
1: Out of the uh, snowdrift into the igloo, I suppose. Yeah. But it, it, it it kind of felt that way in that when we landed, my production citizen and, and I, Landed in Canada to snow that was up to here, which is no exaggeration, which is is so much of it. But it, it didn't change. It doesn't change life for them.
0: That was the start of it. And today you've got multiple characters that you play. I saw you do Jackie Robinson. You've got a nice stable of characters and you've been a pioneer on this. You were talking about the subject Black Lives Matter before BLM. I mean, you were out there. You know, how much travel do you do? Did did you do pre-COVID?
1: I would say pre-COVID, my travel time went from late September through early December. And picked up again mid-January through early April. And I'm blessed to actually say in the way that I work, because I'm still working.
0: And how have you been able to do the workaround on that?
1: All video. All video. And I tell you what, whoo. Covid hit for me just after my busiest time of the year, which is February, mm-hmm. right? Because it's National Employee Black Artist Month. It really is. I mean, yeah. folks really stick to that whole Black History and Black History <laughs> February kind of thing. You know, no matter how many times you know I say, you know. I'm kind of black all year long. And these stories (laughs) are kind of important all year long, right? So regardless of how many times I say that.
0: But but we want to get you in when it's really important. (laughs) Right. We
1: want to get you in when you're really black. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's it. It's like you know, the rest of the year you're not quite black enough. But you
1: not know. <laughs> I always say to people, I, I say, well, you know, in February I'm really, I'm really black. But then when spring comes along, I'm brown skin. You know, <laughs> then summer comes along, I might as well be a white guy, right? <laughs> then <laughs> you know, fall comes along, I'm a light skin brother, right? <laughs> then you know, it's, it's uh, like uh, January the... comes along, you know, and get a little dark brown, and then February, woo. Who
0: else do you portray?
1: I have eight solo productions now. So Jackie Robinson, you know, and all of them, I portray a number of different characters Mm -hmm. in those, of course, but the main characters would be Jackie Robinson, Henry Box Brown, Emmett Till, Rosa Parks or Martin Luther King and the Montgomery Bus Boycott, the Brown versus Board of Education decision of uh, 1954, a play that a very good friend and colleague of mine uh, wrote. Ah, uh, called the Fire of Freedom, which is about Abraham Galloway. Uh, Blood and Sign My Name, which is um, by uh, Timothy Tyson, and it's based on the book Blood and Sign My Name, and and it's about uh, the murder of Dickie Marrow in 1970. Breach of Peace, which is about the Freedom Riders of of 1961. So those are all the pieces that I perform, and now um, they're all on video because of the, the pandemic, yeah. I looked out on the horizon and I think like most pragmatic people saw that this pandemic was not going to end, you know, with a little snap of
0: a finger. Of all the performances that you've done, what's the most popular of your, in your stable of eight stories? And why do you think it is?
1: You know, I would say there's an ebb and a flow to it. And what I mean by that is each of the plays being historic, also have ties to often to what is happening in America currently. And so there was a while where Emmett Till, uh, Darhee, the the lynching of Emmett Till is still the most popular piece that Mm -hmm. I do. And partially now, a great amount of that is due now to the fact that People are talking more about Emmett Till and his and the legacy of Emmett Till and Mamie Till, you know, having that open casket at at his funeral.
0: And how relevant it is in the world we live in today. Absolutely. You know, you'd like to think that it wouldn't that this would have gone away a long time ago, but it hasn't. It's still going to be with us for a while. You also do serious subject matter and you do two different versions, one for adults and one for for kids. What are some of the differences?
1: Well, when I do the, the shortened version, we call it the the student matinee, is what we call it. It's just no you know the old theater term student matinee. Yeah. Um, and the the student matinee or the SMAT version of it is I leave out the photograph of Emmett. Yeah. Right? So I leave out the photograph of Emmett. I don't I leave out certain characters, not because those characters are characters that kids shouldn't see. It's just a particular time length that I have when I do it. Uh, the show for, for young people. So I try and smush everything I can into 45 or 50 minutes. Right. And those characters that I would normally do in the longer version are of interest and they keep the plot moving forward, but they're not necessary to the plot moving forward. Right. So I take those characters out. And so it whittles it down to 45 or 50 minutes. Like, um, for instance, Willie Reed was in some ways a witness to a black man who was a witness to Emmett's murder. He didn't actually see him killed. But the night that those men had Emmett in that old tool shed and they were torturing him and beating him and so on, he happened to pass by because he was going to to the store for his father for Sunday supper. And so he passed by and saw the truck that and he saw Emmett in the truck before they took him into the shed and then when he passed by on his way back from the store he saw the truck pulled up to the shed he could hear screaming inside the next day he saw another man out there burning what looked like trash in a in a large metal barrel and it was shoes and it was clothes so in many ways a witness to Emmett Emmett's death now I don't have to leave that in for the audience to still understand the injustice that went on in that courtroom in September of 1955, but I'm able to leave it in when I'm doing the longer Mm -hmm. public version of it. Although now, because students are, especially high school students, are becoming more and more aware of Emmett's story, they'll ask me at the end of the play, why didn't you put the picture in? I'll tell them, well, it's because it's a little gruesome for, for school students, but if, if your teacher's request, I'm, I'm more than willing to, to have my production manager put that picture up on the screen for you. Oh. Sometimes they ask, and I, and I do put it up there, because they need to know. They need to see sure. in the same way that Mamie wanted everyone to see.
0: When things get back to normal, hopefully we're, we're, we're closing in on that. Uh, but when things get back, yeah and you're able to get back on the road. What else have you got? I know you've got some other projects. What do you see here when the clouds lift?
1: This has all given me a, a newfound opportunity and and a newfound journey, as it were. I want to continue to write and act in uh, my own solo work. I'm working on a piece that's not a solo piece, an ensemble piece right now, uh, about um, or the Greensboro sit-ins. There are other pieces that are from my own you know, personal life that I'd like to see done. Um, there are others that want me to start working on a James Baldwin piece. So there are a number of things, but one thing that I have come to realize in this time is that um, we are going to be doing these kinds of virtual things. This mm-hmm. these virtual conversations and the ability to be able to, to use this platform.
0: It's probably um, not going away. It's anytime definitely not
1: going away. It's not going away anytime soon. And uh, in fact I think it's going to be in addition to, to theaters, theaters that, yes, they want you to come and sit in their theater, but I think there are gonna be theaters that say, but we'll also give you a virtual ticket if you'd like to watch this from <laughs> home. Right. I think that's that's certainly going to be a part of the future. And for me, you know, now that I have a library of eight solo plays on film for schools anywhere in the country to be able to to, to watch and take advantage of, which they are doing, I want to expand that library. I want to have other friends that are also actors that are also capable of doing solo work. I want to direct them and write for them and create just a library of films about um, the African-American experience, the American experience of being black here and and I have schools and uh, institutions across the country say, you know, where do I go? Where If I'm looking for a play uh, or if I'm looking for a piece that has some documentary theater, some historic ties to it, history on film, then
0: ah, maybe they'll put Mike too, Wiley, that's where it. you yeah. go. <laughs> you go to MikeWiley.com. <laughs> you said that. Quote, I do these plays because I believe stereotypes and racism and things of that nature arise from fear. Because we are scared of the unknown. When we were children, we were scared of the dark because we didn't know what was in the dark. We thought that a box in the corner was a monster because we didn't have the lights on to tell us that it was just a box. But when the lights came on, we saw it was just a box. The fear disappeared. The same logic can be applied to our perceptions of other cultures or religions or races. We turn the lights on. We figure out who they are. We learn about them. Then we're not afraid of them anymore. Unquote. Great quote. If you will, Mike, leave us with what do you hope your audiences ultimately take away from your performances?
1: Hope. My desire is that an audience will walk away from any performance that I do with hope, hope for the future, hope for themselves, hope for society, hope for their children, right? And even if you're a young person watching that has no children, hope for their children, right? That's, yeah. that's what I want people to walk away from my performances uh, holding on to. Because if we have hope, right, we can do a, Oh, hell of a lot
0: of things that's a great goal and from what i have seen of your performances that's what i take away from watching you so good luck with everything i'm glad you've got the library done so people can access it i just hope that one day or one day sooner than later we can see each other in person have a I beer that, brother. <laughs> yeah it's uh absolutely it's great having you on the program really appreciate it and look forward to seeing you soon mike
1: Thank you. Thank you, Andy. I really appreciate being on your program. Be well.
0: Well, that's the story. A special acknowledgement to Marianne Kennedy, Pat Bunch, and Pam Rose for allowing me to use their music from Safe in the Arms of Love, a song Allison loved. If you liked what you heard, please share my podcast with your friends. And while you're at it, why not subscribe? And I'd sure appreciate a great rating in Apple Podcasts, too. I'm Andy Parker, and I'll be here next week with another episode of The Cultural Scavenger. Thanks for listening.